Hey there, it's Kelly from Zinimi. Before we get started on today's episode, I want to invite you to one of our greatest trainings ever. It's how to build and grow a profitable solo or group practice sustainably. All you got to do is check it out at zinimi.com slash podcast. All right, on to our episode. Hey everybody, and welcome to a very, uh, ooh, look forward to training or specifically panel talking about terms and conditions and how do we dive in and figure out who we can trust. We have just an hour today, so it's going to be kind of fast to try to get you guys as much information as possible. So we're going to do a quick introduction of our speakers. We're going to take a super quick overview of what's been happening. And then we're going to get into the panel discussion of the real stuff that you want to know about real life terms and conditions, answering as many questions as we can get to today, and giving you some specific strategies that you can use no matter what terms and conditions for what piece of software. Because the, there's been a big question of like, well, is this just about fill in the blank? No, it's not. So let's dive into those pieces. So Eric, our awesome mental health attorney, his focus, what does this legally and ethically mean? Because he's the attorney here and the other two of us are not. Lyeth focuses on let's normalize the tech speak and does this meet the needs of, of HIPAA? And then me, Miranda, your friendly neighborhood therapist and practice coach, how does this impact your clinical work? How do we talk to our clients about this stuff and specifically the business practices? So what happened? Eric, do you want to do a quick overview of what happened with Simple Practice in particular? Yeah, right on. Okay. So with Simple Practice, they issued a new terms of use for their software. Right. And the terms of use is super typical. It's just here's the contract that you agree to when you use our software. Um, a lot of, you know, a lot of normal, normal provisions. There were a couple <clears throat> provisions, though, that were concerning. The, to me, the primary concerning provision was a really broad statement about ownership of data that was posted or, or pro, uh, provided through simple practice. Now that's really common in things like your Facebook or Meta account, your you know your X or Twitter uh, use. I anything that you post is owned by them. That's really typical. It's not typical with a HIPAA business associate, right? So the 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 primary the primary problem was this new terms of use wasn't consistent with the role of a HIPAA business associate and within the healthcare uh, setting. Now there were other, uh, you know, other kind of typical terms of use that were included in this document that just aren't typical in healthcare and were, kind of, and were concerning. Now, the pretty quickly with some pushback, Simple Practice came back and said, no, 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 we, we intend to fully comply with our obligations under HIPAA. So in the short term, it wasn't it wasn't a real concern that all of a sudden simple practice wasn't going to comply with HIPAA anymore or that they were doing they were they were making PHI vulnerable. That wasn't the concern. The concern was that this decision had been made to change policy, to change documents. And it never occurred to anyone to run that through a compliance process to make sure it was consistent with their obligations as, uh, as 
business associates for healthcare. That to me was the big concern that made me also then think what other decisions have been made where it didn't occur to anyone that this is a healthcare environment and that there's some really significant rules that apply. So it was a giant red flag that there was some concerns that just there was no, not an appropriate compliance process going on behind the scenes. So that's, that's sort of the, the very, very, very brief nutshell of what happened. Okay. And I think the other like important detail is for a lot of people, it was, they logged into their account. It had a big banner and it said, you have to do this or you're going to lose access to your records. You have 14 days to comply or you can't access anything. And then there was also some languaging saying, Hey, and by the way, your clients are going to be able to access the client portal if they don't um, say yes to the new provisions we're going to be putting out for clients, which therapists still to date have not seen. So there was some other little pieces that didn't feel super great. Yeah. So one of the things that they did do based on pushback, which I thought was really great, is they extended the deadline to give people more time to September 1st um, to really uh, give them a chance to look in and understand what's going on. They did create a FAQs document, which we'll, we have linked in the page. We have some resources there for you all, so you can kind of check it out. Um, but I think in general, for a lot of therapists, it just really, it did not feel good. It felt really confusing. Um, and it made everybody stop and pause and say, wait, what exactly am I saying yes to? Right. And about the right same, on. I was going to say, about and, the same time, there's something happened with Zoom as well. Yeah. Right. Lyeth, yeah. do you want to go over that? Yeah. And so this one took a little bit of a different trajectory than what uh, transpired with simple practice. So with Zoom, they updated their terms on August 2nd, same, same as simple practice, right? Uh, but then based on the community pushback and feedback, they made it so that folks don't have to opt out specifically into anything. And it's a little funky because basically the the process to not be opting into things is is just that if you get a prompt to generate an IQ meeting summary, you need to not accept that prompt. So there isn't an, an explicit opt out, but you are not automatically opted in. Uh, and they kind of walked back the auto opt in component of things. And then they also updated their terms. So their terms, if you go to their website now, are like 811. So they made some some changes to align all of that together to make it super clear. Yeah. And I'll, I'll say honestly that I don't think that that is all out of the goodness of Zoom's corporate heart, right? But uh, partially due to the fact that they have been under in intense scrutiny uh, following some, um, you know, sanctions and remedial actions that were enforced upon them following previous not so good behavior um, that specifically related to healthcare providers and how they had misrepresented that. That was like pre pre pandemic times. So, um, you know, the the fact that they have been under such intense scrutiny since then 
even though I don't think like from a values perspective that they are necessarily just wanting wanting to do good for for the healthcare providers that they're serving they are under that sort of scrutiny where PCT and the other security and compliance experts that we work with think that scrutiny means that they're going to be upholding the uh, terms of the business associate agreements and so on. Yeah. And I think too, the the one thing that I will say, and I know there's prob- problematic pieces, is that Zoom kind of sees themselves not really as a healthcare provider. They see themselves as a business provider that happens to do a little bit of healthcare. And so there's almost a little bit of a, I kind of get how they forget um, what's there versus when we have an EHR and somebody who's supposed to be primarily a healthcare provider, it's a little bit funky, right? I, I agree, Miranda. And I think there's a, there's a fundamental difference in these two examples where on the one side, simple practice as a healthcare business associate put out some terms that are just absolutely inconsistent with HIPAA. They're just not consistent. Zoom, on the other hand, offered a, a service that wasn't consistent with, with HIPAA that you could use as a healthcare provider or non-healthcare provider and didn't really make it sufficiently clear that as a healthcare provider, you really needed to consider this an opt-out. Those feel qualitatively different in, in my mind as well. Yeah. So the questions we're trying to answer and we're trying to explore today are kind of like, what are these real-world impact of certain terms and conditions How do we evaluate services for meeting your practice's legal and ethical needs? Assessing for trust and transparency. Um, Why the terms for your healthcare software need to be very different than the terms for anything else you use, right? Um, Which Eric is already touching on. And then kind of like the when, why, and how to push back on terms that don't meet your needs. Uh, Because I think that's an important piece is Mm -hmm. that we have a little more power, I think, than we realize as therapists, and we we don't always access it. So we're going to be diving into it, right? Um, so if we can, we talk a little bit about what we should be evaluating with anybody who gets access to our client data. Absolutely. So you know this this first point of are they properly de-identifying data using the safe harbor method? So the safe harbor method of of de-identification is a very specific and stringent piece under under the HIPAA privacy and security rule regulations, right? And um, In this instance, one of the things that we need to ensure, because it it is absolutely hippocopacetic for a service provider to share information that is fully de-identified. But what we need to know is that they are understanding and applying the requirements for safe harbor de-identification correctly, right? and, and this is where things get a little bit sticky in terms of the current information that we have with the example of simple practice, right? Um, because one of the, the pieces of info that we have is that they are saying that initials are okay. I know this is on a, on a following slide, but I'm gonna foreshadow here because it's, it's so impactful, right? So if, if data is not de-identified fully, 
under uh, and and according to the very rigorous requirements of the safe harbor method then it is not hipaa acceptable for it to be shared or sold in any form or fashion um, and when it comes to the 18 identifiers any part or derivative of the 18 identifiers means that 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 data is not de-identified so initials because they're a part or derivative of a name which is the first and foremost uh identifier it means it's not de-identified so this is this is where things are getting particularly sticky in my view uh, with the simple practice example when we're evaluating terms and conditions and how that's being applied. So, and again, that what does the minimum necessary standard means? It's delivering services for client care. And for a lot of us, when we're reading other terms, we're saying, wait, what else am I saying yes to? Um, are you giving global permission for them to use your intellectual property without additional consent, your custom intakes, uh, your surveys, your letters, your measures, et cetera. We have, uh, I have a client who gave me permission to share that she was going in and looking at the additional um, templates available from simple practice and looking in the back end of it. And she found her template as one of the templates that she could do. That was this very customized template that was very specific to sex therapy, um, that was very specific to her training that she'd spent weeks developing and when she reached out to them and said, hey, this is not okay, they said, no problem, I'll take it down. Then, and then it left. And then later on, they said, we would never do that. And she's like, you did. And so now she's, she's like, I wish I had screenshotted like what I was seeing. And that and part, again, of like the confusion of like, what is happening? What is, what am I really saying okay to? And I think there are therapists that would say, hey, I'm happy to share that custom intake. We are a a healthy, loving community. But there are certain intakes we are not okay with sharing and especially globally and not for a software as a service to profit off of. And at the same time, Miranda, it's very plausible that the terms of use that that particular clinician clicked yes to authorized Simple Practice to own that. They Correct. probably did. Correct. And, and and there are and there are several other things like that to to look for in to when you're evaluating these terms of use, and, and absolutely that's a big one. Who owns this data? It's it's your intellectual property of the of say the documents or the 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 uh, things that you create, but it's also all the PHI, right? That that we're granting ownership. I there there were a couple other really interesting things in that simple practice example. One was if you have your website hosted through Simple Practice, you were also consenting to having advertisements posted on your website with no control, right? So you provide substance assessment and treatment work and a Bud Light commercial is posted on your website. Wildly inappropriate and we have no control over that, right? Um, I think it's also interesting that we we got some feedback from Simple Practice saying exactly this thing. We're not going to sell de-identified information which to me just brings up another gigantic red flag of now I need to know what you are selling. What yeah. is being sold, right? If you're not, you're, you're clearly not just monetizing me now, you're monetizing something else. I need to know what that is, yeah. right? And part of that is the difference between HIPAA compliance, right? And HIPAA consistency, right? So we can have a, a, a service that's consistent with HIPAA, 
right? They sign a, a business associates agreement. They say we're going to comply with HIPAA. And then everyone's use has to be compliant with the HIPAA standards, right? And so, so we have a business associates agreement with simple practice. So that's consistent with HIPAA. At this point, I don't know if their practices are compliant. I don't have any idea what they're selling. And, and, and now I need to know that. Well, and, and could they, right, from a business perspective, if we're talking about just the generalities of, you know, de-identified data, that yeah. like there's no identification, are you paying a premium amount of money, hundreds, sometimes several hundreds or thousands of dollars for them to use your data and your client's data in a way that you were not told for them to yeah. make more money off exactly. of you, right? Exactly like right. how do we feel about that? And, and we're going to talk about the pros and cons of this, but how do we feel about opening up to training their AI models, which they say, we have no plans to do that. And we will absolutely give you a special terms before we do that. But if you look at the way the terms are written, it feels very open to allowing that yeah. with, because otherwise you wouldn't be going through every bit of it, audio data. It, you know? Miranda, it absolutely does. The current yeah. The current updated terms of use absolutely would allow them to use any any information they want for AI. There's no restriction in the current terms of use. So they might say, no, we don't intend to do that without explicit consent, but that's not what the document says. Correct. Correct. So here's some copy and paste that we have. I say we have the receipts from from simple practice support from what people are saying. Hey, quote, we cannot offer clarity on what or who we may sell information to, as this isn't an active policy in which we currently have more information about, right? So we know that they're not going to sell any of the PHI, any of the identified things we think, right? Um, but they're not really telling us what they will do with all the other data that they collect, right? They were clear right. that they're using the safe harbor method and that they also wrote, this is the receipt, initials are con currently considered a gray area and are okay for now, unless clarification <laughs> comes from a legislative body. We have the links in the in the resources for you below that you can go and check that out. That's that not true. patently false. Oh, and oh, so yeah. this is the biggest red flag. I mean, there are a lot of red flags for me, I, honestly. I'm, and I'll let yeah. Eric take it over because you're also, you know, emphatically shaking your head. But I, I'm, I'm literally speechless. I mean, literally, like, I don't even know what to say. So, so this thing about initials are a gray area. That's false. That's not true. Initials are PHI. <laughs> like, like, like we can clarify, we can solve this gray area. It is PHI done. There's, there's no gray area. Mm -hmm. There's no confusion about this. I have no idea what in the world they would be citing to, to say that they're, that this is a gray area and we don't have any clarification. I would love to see what the citation is. This also makes me extremely concerned that this yeah. is not being reviewed by a competent attorney that understands healthcare. I, I, I mean, I don't know what else to say other than that. And here's my concern. Given this, when there's an official statement saying, we kind of made up this standard of de-identification that's not based on any realistic legal or, or, or regulatory standard. We just made this up. My next question is what else are you making up? What else are you doing without running it through, through compliance? So you're, you're telling us you're selling that you're not selling information that's not de-identified. You're also telling us you clearly have no idea what it means to de-identify. So I think you're probably selling identifiable information probably until you clarify to me exactly what you're selling and exactly who you're selling it to and exactly how you're de-identifying. 
my default now is to say, I don't think you understand how this works and you're not, and you're not getting competent advice on how it works. That, yeah. that really terrifies me. Yeah. I want to show a couple of questions for us to, Oh, <laughs> that <laughs> we're trying to figure these things out. Um, I just realized that if I put this question up, it will literally go over, um, over Eric's head. So I'm just going to start reading out some of the questions <laughs> as opposed to doing it this other way, uh, which is really funny. Actually, maybe actually it should work. You can cover um, my head. That's all right. I don't think anybody's going to mind. <laughs> we'll see if this uh, shows. So I'm worried about after reading the messages that they'd lock me out. So I agreed right away after learning more. I wish I had not agreed to them. What should I do? You can send a message over to Simple Practice Support and they will undo your um, your thing. So I think that's really important to, uh, to know that piece as well. I think the yeah. other question that I hear a lot is people saying, if I, as a therapist, um, if I say yes to simple practice terms and conditions, am I liable? Like, am I doing something wrong? I have a business associate agreement. Um, am I legally, could I be sued? Um, is there something legal bad that could happen or is, is the health and human services going to come after me? What are our thoughts on that? I, I have some responses to that. So, so when, when the question is, can I be sued? The answer is almost always yes. Anybody can sue anybody for any nutty thing. I could sue both of you today, right? I will lose and I'll probably have to pay your attorney's fees, but I could sue you, right? Okay. So the answer is almost always yes. Somebody could sue you. But that's not really what they're asking. What they're asking is, is there realistic liability? There's a couple interesting things. One is the HIPAA regulations explicitly say there is no private right of action. What that means is you cannot be sued for HIPAA noncompliance. You can't. That's, that's part of the regulation. However, that's, that's not the liability we're worried about. Miranda, exactly what you, what you said from the question. What we're worried about is an audit. The federal government auditing us for HIPAA compliance and then levying a fine for non-compliance. That's the concern. Now, here's the thing in the short run, I'm not concerned at all for the clinicians in the short run. And I'll tell you why. The terms of use for simple practice are not consistent with simple practices, HIPAA obligations. However, simple practice has said, we intend to fully comply with those obligations. So I think in the short run, it's reasonable to continue to assume that they're going to comply with their HIPAA obligations, despite the inconsistencies in their terms of use. In the long run, I'm not so sure. In the long run, if we continue to see things like this, initials are okay, nobody knows if they're PHI or not. If we continue to see things like that, it becomes no longer reasonable to rely on the fact that they're going to comply with HIPAA because it looks like they don't understand it, right? So in the short run, don't, I'm not too worried. In the long run, I have all kinds of red flags now that I'm that I'm not comfortable continuing with this service until they're adequately addressed. That's that that's sort of how I see the liability side. And I'll say from like a business side, my concern is can you if your client asked about it as these conversations are popping up on TikTok and social media, could you have a conversation and could you say, "Hey, here's my here's here's where I'm at and here's why I'm choosing to stay with them." Um, and I think it's a really hard piece. I'm going to talk about this a little bit more about like, it's easy to make this a simple practice issue, but for many people, when they started looking at terms of service, they're like, there's a lot of similarities. There's red flags and everything. What do we do? 
um, as a profession, as a group of people to come together to say, actually, these things really aren't okay for us. If you are a healthcare provider, like it, it's not okay, right? And I think there's some interesting stuff um, <clears throat> in terms of the questions that we want to ask. And I'm going to pop forward for a second to better help, right? Um, because this is pretty recent. I see some people talking about it in the in the comments as well. There were similar concerns with their terms. Yeah. Therapists tried to whistleblow, right? Therapists went viral talking about these issues, reading over the terms and conditions. BetterHelp said, absolutely not. That is not what we're doing. That is not that is not accurate. And they actually went after with legal letters and what have you and had people take down all of these um, all of these videos in this space, right? And then the FTC stepped in and they said, um, this is despicable. If you read the, there, there's a couple of different opinion pieces from the FTC and one of them is very strongly worded. Hey, you are taking people's like, when they're at their most vulnerable and using their data, it's not okay. They've been fined $8 million, which is really a drop in the bucket for better help, which is not great. Now, none of their, employees have been punished, right? None of the people working for better help um, have been punished. No one's getting any kind of ethical, like the, the boards aren't going after the employees. And you might think, well, better help was an employer. What does that have to do with simple practice? Well, better help while they're an employer also had an integrated electronic health record as part of it. And that's part of what gave them access to do some of the things that they did. And so we can look at better help even as an employer. Now we can look at how that might apply to simple practice as a service provider. With better help, our labor, when we as therapists went into better help, um, a tech run company without a lot of therapists in leadership, when we said, I'm going to work for them, we kind of gave some validity to their, their choices and their behaviors. And a lot of people were saying, oh, wait, this isn't great, but, you know, hey, I can I can make more money. I can work from home. And then they got into it and went, oh, wait, I made some some poor choices. Right. And not everybody has a privilege to pull back from that. Um, but as a business owner in particular, what privileges do you have in this situation? Right. How do we vote with our dollars and our labor to decide which of these tech companies is going to come in and make these decisions. Exactly. And I think that's where, uh, you know, to, to go to how we evaluate what services are appropriate to uh, entrust with the client information that we are entrusted with securing, um, how we evaluate those services in terms of trustability, transparency, are they materially prepared to comply with the uh, obligations and responsibilities that they're taking on in the business associate agreements? That's kind of like the, at the, the heart of everything here. So, you know, in terms of what we look for when we're trying to evaluate a, a service provider for meeting, meeting needs for mental health practitioners, one of the primary components is often, do they have a clinician on their leadership team and on their technical leadership team? Because very often, if that is the case, that 
is going to be reflected in terms of the services, function, features, and functionalities meeting those legal ethical needs. If it's just a bunch of web developers like Silicon Valley bros, uh, no offense, uh, <laughs> who who are you know trying to make something that's shiny and new, but don't understand what the actual legal ethical needs are of the customers that they're serving. There's going to be a big differential there. Yeah, uh, you know, I th and I think Lyeth, that's a big part of of the source of this problem, is that we're that we're seeing a lot of businesses coming into healthcare, mental healthcare space, and saying oh my gosh, there's this unmonetized open space. Let's monetize it. And they run in to, to think, ah, we, we figured this out. No one else has thought of this. And the reality is it's illegal. That's why you can't monetize it. It's illegal to monetize it. It's not that, that you're smarter than everyone else. You figured out a way to monetize it. It's illegal, right? And, and I think that's part of the problem is that there's a lag there. As far as these, these green flags, what this is making me think too is, is a pattern that we're seeing is when you ask, a service about a concern and you say, I'm concerned about this compliance. And their answer is, don't worry, it's all fine. Or that doesn't apply to us. Or you don't need, you don't need to think about that. That's a giant red flag. When the mm -hmm. service says, oh, sure, let me explain to you how we're compliant. Let me explain what the rules are and how we're meeting them. That's a giant green flag. Because even, even if there's something slightly off, right, they're thinking about it. They're understanding it, right? And they're willing to say, let me explain to you how this works. I just read a terms, a terms of use, and, and I, I honestly can't remember the name of the, of the service that it was, but I just read one yesterday that was extremely long and complicated. And the clinician was like, I don't have any idea what's going on here. And it was great because what it was was step by step. Here's, how, here's what we do to be compliant, right? And it was really nice because they were explaining clearly they had spent a lot of time figuring out their compliance and putting and putting things into place. And if you ask them, what, how are you de-identifying or what are you selling? They would say, oh, great. Here, it's on page 15, <laughs> right? Let's talk about that. Let me explain it to you rather than, oh, don't worry about it. That's, that's the gray area, right? That's, that's a, a, a nutty giant red flag response. Yeah, I think one of the things that I'm seeing too that's been happening um, is that electronic health records aren't, don't just want to be electronic health records anymore. They want to be your marketing arm. They want to be your website. They want to um, do your continuing education units. They want to be your business consultant. They want to kind of be your legal website. documents for you. <laughs> they want to draft the legal documents. They want to do all of those pieces. Um, and so the terms are also like very broad, even yeah with simple practice, like I understand it, they have a magazine, they have a continuing education arm, um, they're purchasing up other people, they were purchased by a big conglomerate. When you think about what and I, I do not have the time or energy to go in and look when they say affiliates, I don't think that's a small number, y'all. Like, like, there's a lot just in simple practice that we know. And then if we look at whoever, whomever they purchased and whomever they're purchasing, affiliates is a very a very broad term that's a lot of people that's a lot a lot of people well i mean theoretically that's everybody yep. <laughs> there's no limit i mean in, in theory right i get things yeah. I, we did a training for them um several years ago so like could i be considered one of their affiliates because i have a training up on their continuing education 
um, we've, we've been quote unquote partners, but we've always declined any money from simple practice for referring to them. We've always wanted to feel very clean in terms of we're referring because this is great or we're not referring because this is great. We're not taking any money from either of these EHRs. And this one of the questions that we're getting is like, how are um, our professional associations, how are they kind of stepping up and, and verbalizing what's okay in these kinds of terms? And for the most part, I'm not seeing very clear direction or they're saying, hey, this is standard for the internet, we're fine. But also a lot of those professional associations have professional agreements with simple practice and it is a source of income. And so it's this little tricky widget when you, you really don't want to disparage somebody who's a part of as one of your affinity partners or what have you, it can get a little, a little bit funky. I think talking about green flags, I do think it's really important. Like for me as a client, I would like to opt in or opt out of data sharing, right? I want to decide, especially when you have languaging in there. And again, this is, we're not just talking about simple practice, but any place, if you're talking about video or audio, <laughs> content from my sessions, which is how it was written in simple practice, um, I, I want to be able to opt in or opt out. Maybe I want to opt in if you say that the AI is going to go through and automate the documentation for my therapist. Hell yeah, let's opt into that. Like, let's make notes a thing of the past. That sounds freaking fantastic, right? The therapist looks at the notes, makes some edits, they don't have to do it from track. That sounds fantastic. Are they tracking the clinical outcomes, right? I used to use something called the outcome rating scale or the session rating scale um, from whomever. I can't think of their name right at the moment. And some of my clients would opt in to doing the online version. And in the right. online version, they would take the anonymized data and then they would give feedback. I had a client who at the end of a session said seven out of 10 for the session. And the thing popped up and said, it sounds like you might be thinking about discontinuing therapy. This would be a great thing to talk to your therapist about. And the client looked at me and said, oh my gosh, I have a session with another therapist later this week. And we got to have know? this great conversation. No, it was fantastic. It was a great conversation. I totally understood what the reasoning was. But again, it like that's a beautiful use of like data put together. But we need to be on the same page. And I don't. I'm not giving the okay for all the data and all the ways for my, for my client. And I think that's where I kind of sit in terms of legally, as Eric said, we're fine. It really comes down to, for me, like ethically, do I feel like I'm being a good steward of my client's data with what I believe I'm agreeing to? And if we have these EHRs and let me be clear, I have been a huge proponent of EHRs. I have like, all of my clients, you need to have an EHR. This is so important. You got to have an EHR. And now there's a little part of me that's like kicking myself in the butt. But, but there's so, again, there's so much good. But a lot of people were like, no, no, no. Big Brother's going to be in there watching. I'm like, no one wants to do that. And now here we are. I mean, I think, you know, the, the, some of the takeaways from, from what you just shared are that, yes, ideally that any service provider gives us granular permissions, right? So we can be really specific uh, in terms of what we are consenting to share or not. And then when it comes to AI utilization, if it's in a clinical context, 
there is, uh, you know, a, above and beyond just having a business associate agreement with the service provider that is managing that. What is really incumbent is that if it's being used in a clinical context, that you are getting the informed consent of clients and that you are aware of some of the implications of how AI's generative output can function, right? Which can include biases, uh, you know, because the output is only as good as the data input and our data sets are are limited, like there, there are a lot of studies and, and research on how, how biased uh, AI, generative AI is, especially in this use application. So that's something to be mindful of. Um, but in terms of like, I wanna actually go back to what Eric said about sh short term, I think we really are legally okay with simple practice. Right. You do. And, and I want to emphasize that because I know there are so many folks who are feeling intense anxiety, understandably so, because migrating EHRs is not a simple process, mm -hmm. especially if you are a group practice owner. Yeah. <laughs> um, it it is involved. Um, but short. So short term, you have the coverage, you have the CYA of that business associate agreement. And then when we look longer term though, I think we need to be taking into account the considerations of, okay, do they seem like materially prepared to actually meet the obligations of a business associate? Because part of our responsibilities as HIPAA covered entities is to do due diligence, right? Um, to apply reasonable and appropriate safeguards to determine that the service providers that we're entrusting PHI to, that they are actually going to meet the needs and, and follow the regulations. And I think the, I mean, the biggest issue for me in terms of saying whether or not I think simple practice, if we're talking about a specific exam example here, is that they are, um, you know, that issue with how they're determining, saying that they apply the safe harbor method for de-identification, but aren't in fact doing so correctly. Um, that's, that's the biggest red flag for me. So I just want to try to soothe, soothe some folks in terms of the short-term concerns, but also say looking long-term, um, you know, really evaluate who you're going to entrust things to. And this is exactly what Miranda's going to go into now. Yeah. And I, I want to make sure, because there's just so many questions, I was trying to pepper them in, but I, I want to kind of make sure we have some of this information and then give us a nice juicy time for that. But I think it's really important for you to realize that you are not powerless. Like your money is what's giving people like why they're doing this. Like there's a lot of money for them to be made or they would not be in this work. So expressing yourself, let your dollars do the talking, looking for therapist learned services. And then we know obviously with the Federal Trade Commission that it wasn't to our knowledge, right? It's not that CAMP or APA came out against, against BetterHelp. It was the FTC 
And then of course we know the health and human services. So we have some links to both of those things to the health and human services where there are places to say, Hey, we're just trying to figure it out. And I think it's not a, I don't think it's a bad thing for us to say, Hey, health and human services, help us understand, is this all okay? Are we, are we good? Um, in terms of putting a little bit of pressure on any of the EHRs. Um, and then I also think there's this place too of figuring out like our property, our intellectual property is so much more valuable than they, than we realize. They realize the value we do not. And we need to start stepping up and saying, no, 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 no. This, this is my information. This is, I'm the steward of my client's data. This is not okay. Anything to add before we just get into peppering y'all with questions? I, I got one, one last one. I, I would also caution clinicians and say, don't let the limitations of the service provider direct your clinical work. And I mm -hmm. feel like I see that literally every day, right? That, well, simple practice doesn't have a process for me to, to countersign my informed consent form. So do I really have to do it? Yes, you do. And if simple practice doesn't give you that, that not, not everyone, under a few states, that's a requirement. Mm -hmm. um, if simple practice doesn't give you that functionality, then you have to use something else, right? And give them that feedback and say, I, I need to comply with my standards. If you can't provide me with a, a, a system or a platform that does that, I have to find someone that does, right? Rather than saying, well, that's not how my EHR works, so I guess I'm gonna do things differently we primarily have to comply with our clinical standards and communicate that to our to the to the solutions and say i need this functionality if you can't provide it to me i've got to find it somewhere else and so i just make we we need to be telling this the platforms what we need not modifying our clinical work so that we fit onto what the platform wants to offer us yeah i think that's great so we're gonna go into see if we can get these questions. Why does it keep popping up over for um, thing? Maybe we can get uh, <laughs> to help on the bottom. We're trying to figure this out. Um, will it be, you know, we're trying to think about it. Like if I move, will I just end up in the same situation in the near future? Right? Like, is it really worth living simple practice and starting over? I think those are two great questions. I mean, theoretically, sure. I mean, this can happen. This, like, we didn't anticipate that simple practice was going to, that this was going to happen with simple practice. So in theory, could this happen again? Sure, it could. I, I, but, I, but I think it's a different issue. I think what we're actually seeing is in this one environment, it just was not something that was well thought through, right? There's been enough pushback that I think is probably not going to happen again this way with simple practice, but I don't know. Will this pattern happen again with other solutions? Absolutely, it will. Absolutely, it will. We're going to have other, other tools that are going to enter the marketplace without a full understanding of what compliance looks like. So, yeah, we need to be vigilant. Is it the, a case that like every EHR is just going to do the same thing? No, absolutely not. But we have to stay vigilant. So, if, you know, it's kind of a yes and a no. I think right. that there's also like if for the amount of people who are going over to a new place and they know that you left simple practice for these reasons, they're very much on on record of realizing, oh, wait, we're yeah. saying yes to these simple practice customers who are coming for this reason. If we change, are, do we really think they're not going to change again? 
somebody else is going to make it easy for them to move too. Right. I think there is incentivization in, in place for, for some other service providers when we're talking about, you know, EHR practice management systems. I think at the same time, um, you know, it, it is very likely, especially as we're in this era of AI proliferation, that terms and conditions are going to be updated. There is going to be a push to monetize data more and more uh, in, in kind of conjunction with the AI proliferation. But I think that's all the more reason why when we're evaluating service providers, when it's specifically a service that's just dedicated to healthcare functionalities, why having clinicians on the leadership team, uh, like that representation is so important. Now, of course, they can, you know, the company can be bought out, leadership can change, but that honestly is still the best indicator that we have. And I'm noting, you know, in the comments here that some folks are saying, well, simple practice used to be led by a clinician. Mm -hmm. Yes, they, they did. And all of, all of these changes have manifested following, uh, the, the buyout and that clinician no longer being on the on the team and not having that like voice and perspective being represented. Yeah. And, and just for the record, I also want to make it really clear. I, I, I'm not going to speak for either of you, but from my perspective, I'm not saying you need to leave simple practice. And yeah. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that, that current events have given us enough red flags and questions that there's a lot that needs to be clarified from simple practice before I feel comfortable that, that everything is what it should be. But we're not at that point yet where we're saying you can't use simple practice anymore. So I just, just want to, so, so I don't want to imply that to be compliant, you all need to leave simple practice. That's not the case. No. We just have some concerns that need to be clarified. Yeah. I love um, Kavita's comment in the in the chat too. HIPAA compliance is the lowest bar. As therapists, some of us may be thinking more deeply about ethics and standards of care for their clients, which is absolutely true. I think that is so yeah, important. Yeah. And I'm, I want to just highlight this. HIPAA compliance is a minimum acceptable standard. This isn't some great high aspirational standard of HIPAA compliance. It's the minimal minimum acceptable standard. Right, and that's a, a really good point. Yes, we should be exceeding HIP, the, HIP, yeah. the HIPAA minimum requirements. Yeah. Jessica said, are there any EHR platforms that do not share any of your data and simply provide you the service without <laughs> data sharing? <laughs> like what, how, <laughs> where do we go? I, I, I don't know, but I'll tell you, I bet, I bet Lyoth has an answer to this. So I'm gonna make it really fast. I don't know, but here's the thing, you're gonna pay more. Right, like you pay for the service and it's monetized through your, you paying for it or they monetize your data in some other way. So that's, you know, that's kind of my, my thought on it, but I, but I bet you Lyoth has some more specific information. So, so far the other EHR systems that uh, we have a good confidence in, in terms of trust, transparency, the way they manage things in terms of the security compliance uh, process and like how they're applying all of the standards in practice in terms of their features and functionality. Those are going to be uh, therapy notes, uh, practice queue, 
from those of you who may be familiar with intake queue uh, for their intake forms, they have a full featured practice management system as well. So there's uh, practice queue. Sessions Health is a newer EHR on the market, but it is therapist-led, therapist-founded, therapist-led. Uh, we haven't, I have to, like, full disclaimer, PCT hasn't done a full hip appropriateness review of it, but our initial review uh, reveals really good things, and we've heard awesome feedback. And if you look at their site, all of their languaging is so oriented to uh, what their legal, ethical, like commitments and values are. Um, I, I still think I said in our last group practice office hour session to Eric, I was like, oh, it's like they're speaking my tech love language because <laughs> it was it was just so, so on point. So those I think would honestly be the kind of top three contenders in my book personally. And that's, that's just from, from what our client feedback is that's not to say that uh, EHRs that I'm not naming are not HIPAA appropriate or or sufficient. I'm just reporting what folks in our community are uh, utilizing and what we've reviewed to date that it um, is kind of at the, at the top of the game. And and actually, I'll, I'll piggyback on that and say just and this is a really general information. But there's a difference between a practice management system and an electronic record system, an integrated electronic record system. There's a regulatory difference. So a practice management system is just a, 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 a system that helps you manage your practice. A right. specifically certified integrated medical record system is regulated differently, and you're probably more likely to more likely to have fewer of these kinds of issues with a more regulated medical record system. So what, and, and there is a noteworthy component with that though. If you are using an ONC certified EHR, so ONC is the Office of like National Coordinator, forget the full, full acronym for it, but if it's an ONC certified EHR, that means that you are subject to the uh, 21st Century Cures Act or open notes uh, provision, which means that um, the basically the progress notes or soap notes from your client sessions need to automatically be shared with clients and, and be accessible to them without any, any process. And if that is making any of you freak out, my response to that is two things. Number one, if you have one of those certified integrated me medical record systems, it's already set up that way. It has to be. So that yep. functionality is already there, number one. Number two, this is the direction we're going. Eventually, everyone will have to comply with this. So just get used to it. Clients have a right to their records. Let's just get used to real-time access because it's coming. I, I love clients having access to open notes. My concern isn't clients having access. My concern is the other, the wider variety of, of care providers and in situations where there might be domestic violence, sexual assault, there is some, yeah. um, some significant safety concerns. So that's where you see me shaking my yeah. head. It's not about client access. It's about like what that means a yeah. little bit broader. For um, sure. 
I mean, there are absolutely risk management considerations and, and client care considerations when it comes to that. And that's, I mean, there are provisions in the 21st Century Cures Act in, in the open notes provisions um, for, for managing those high risk scenarios. But um, it's, it's something I think everyone needs to be really informed about and, and being intentional around in terms of, of how you're managing documentation and um, communicating with clients around their rights of access as well. Yeah. So here's a great question. Is a release of info needed from our clients when we move to a new EHR if we use a white glove transfer facilitated by the new provider? So... Probably not. Um, do take a, just, just a gander in your informed consent. I think sometimes we're not really clear in our informed consent what we're doing, but there should be something there saying, hey, I use a secure online electronic health record or whatever the dynamic is and giving them informed consent. And hopefully you're not so specific of saying I use simple practice. If you say I use simple practice, then that may be, um, maybe you don't need to have them sign, but you should notify them, hey, right? I use, I was using simple practice. They made some updates. I am changing in the next two weeks to this new thing. If you have any questions or concerns, let's talk about them in your next session or email me with your questions and concerns. Let's talk about it. Yeah. Informed consent, of course, is super important. And Miranda, I totally agree with you that we don't want to have in our in our consent documents, here's the solution I use. I use simple practice. I use Stripe. There's, there's, there's no basis for that to be required. If we do that, we may be limiting our option to use other ones because now we've, we've, we've made that dis disclosure and we've gotten consent from the client for one specific solution. So that's generally not a good idea. When we're switching from one EHR to another, it, it does make sense to, to inform the client and have that conversation, but not to include that specific solution in our informed consent. The, the specific question here about do we need an ROI to change EHRs? We don't. You never need an ROI to disclose information to a business associate, right? It's a different thing. It's not a disclosure. That's a use of information that doesn't require an ROI. So that's why we don't have to have an ROI with Zoom to use a HIPAA, a HIPAA consistent Zoom for telehealth. That's why we don't have to have an, an ROI with whatever other business associates we have. Here's a great question. How can one request a HIPAA audit of simple practice for compliance? Asking for a friend. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, uh, I'm not sure if there's a process to request a, a HIPAA audit, um, but I can say that the US Department of Health and Human Services, when they get a complaint, about HIPAA compliance, that's the, the thing that generally will trigger an audit. Um, I know, I mean, part, part and parcel of the business associate agreement is also that they will make available their uh, books, oh, audits, yeah. et cetera. So, you know, you could request their latest risk analysis and- uh, Oh, that's a great point, Right. That's an inherent part of the business associate agreement is transparency and processes that, that that a valid business associate agreement needs to say, if you want documentation on our compliance, just ask and we'll give it to you. Well, that's a great point, Lyeth. Yeah. Uh, will there be a written transcript of today's session published <laughs> afterwards? We will have a replay. We're going to keep it open for as long as it feels accurate and helpful 
um, for yep. people, just so you know that. Uh, no, no one's suing them yet. Um, is it holding hostage to tell us that they'll take away our access to our account because we won't sign and we haven't had near enough notice to transition? I don't know, but you know what I would feel comfortable with? I would feel comfortable with a statement that said something like, here's our new terms and conditions. If you, if you don't agree with it in a reasonable amount of time, here's the transition process. Here's how you can download all of your, your records and you can continue mm -hmm. to access those records for just download purposes. That mm -hmm. protects the best interest of the client. What mm -hmm. again is a giant red flag is here's, here's a contract you have no negotiating power to agree with it or you're locked out of your healthcare records. That's totally inconsistent with the space. That's just not consistent with how this whole industry works. And, and again, it never occurred to anyone to ask a compliance officer or a healthcare attorney, can we do this? Right? That's, that's just a giant red flag again. And there's ways to do this that's totally consistent. Like, okay, look, you can't use our service if you don't agree. But of course, we're never going to make it so that you and your clients can't access their, their data in a reasonable amount of time. Yeah, especially when people are taking vacations. And this is kind of related <laughs> to that. Simple practice said they can't give me my HIPAA log. Other people have been told that the HIPAA log, they had to take screenshots of it in order to get access to it. Is this legal? And am I at risk if I walk away from simple practice without my HIPAA log? I don't know. I mean, the, in the business associate agreement promises you that they will, that they will provide you with this information. If they didn't just don't, or they don't collect it, or it's not accessible. I, I don't know. I mean, it'll be up to the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services to, to determine whose who's violation of HIPAA that is. That's that's wild, uh, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I would say that any of you who are simple practice users currently, I would strongly advise that you do a data export uh, of both the demographic data. So it, it's, it's always going to be a, a two-part process, right? You're going to get the demographic data, which you can then typically upload and, and import to another practice management system. And then, um, you know, like a download a, a, and, and make a zip file of all of your clients' actual progress notes and, and charts, right? The reason I'm saying that is not because I'm telling you, you need to download that in order to migrate away from simple practice. I'm saying that because we've heard uh, multiple times recently that they're kind of walking back there. Um, we will, as your HIPAA business associate and EHR, manage the uh, availability standard and, and data backup standards mm -hmm. for the PHI mm -hmm. that we're managing on your behalf. So, you know, for for many years, we have been telling folks part of why you use an EHR is because they are managing data, data backups and all of the standards that are applicable to that on your behalf. Right. So you're offloading that responsibility. They are kind of reloading that onto onto customers and clinicians. And so. You know, as as Eric said, and I want to reiterate, we're not saying short term that you need to be migrating away from simple practice. But if you are a simple practice user and you are staying with them, I would say um, that it is important to back up, do an export of, of the data and do that periodically. Of course, 
The device you're doing that from needs to be secured according to Safe Harbor standards. PCT has resources for that. I won't take up more time talking about those, but um, you know we can we can help you with that process. Um, but that's just just something to keep in mind uh, considering how how they're kind of handling data at this point. I want to, because I know we're right at the top of the hour. Um, I can stay around to ask a few questions. I don't know if Eric and Elias can, but I want you to know how you can get more support. I, we knew like trying to do the, A, getting three people together for an hour that are super busy people is really hard. So I just want to say like huge thank you to Elias and to Eric for like taking time out and they're getting hammered with these questions. This is a, like a really big deal. Um, they are people that you can get more support from. Lyeth has something um, through person-centered tech called office hours, and they have office hours for solo and group practice. Um, and Eric is a part of those office hours, which is really rad. And that was part of how we decided to do this training was that I was like, you did office hours. Like, I would love to be a fly on the wall for office hours. What do attorneys think of this? And they were so like lovely to share those, um, share those with me. It's a very low cost, monthly thing to get real support on all these different aspects and legal aspects and security aspects that can be part of your so you as a private practice owner so i heard people saying like what even is a hipaa law what about this and what about that like it gets kind of complex so having some support can be really really helpful um eric also um does consulting um as a mental health attorney um so we have a link of that if you look at the resources down on the thing under under the resources and like hey what if i need more help you'll see how to get started with person center tech you'll see how to get started with eric which is strong consulting and then of course for uh for me with zinni me we have the business school for therapists and we dive into all these logistics of creating a business from from scratch or revamping a business and how to not go insane with all the processes, but also how to like keep it all seeped in like what is happening clinically? Am I giving the best outcomes? Am I living a life that's really like workable? Do I still have relationships and hobbies? Like, can we look at the big bad <laughs> thing? So that's what that's kind of what we do um, in a nutshell. So Okay, I know it's 203. We try to keep it to two as much as possible. Again, I'll I'll see if there's any questions I can help with. Um, but I can, I can hang for a few minutes, but I just want to say, Miranda, I so appreciate your pulling this together and all of the legwork that you and your team have done logistically and in so many other ways to to facilitate this for the community. Um, and it's it's an absolute you know, pleasure to to collaborate with you. Thanks. I, I, I agree. And I do want to say I do have to log off. I have another uh, appointment to get to. But I will tell you this. If you are a Washington State uh, clinician, I'm happy to provide legal consultation to you. If you're a clinician outside of Washington State, I would direct you to office hours through person-centered tech where <laughs> we can provide some some more 50-state guidance that's not specifically legal guidance. So if you're a Washington state clinician, I'm happy to provide legal guidance. If not, um, uh, I'd be happy to see you in office hours through person Center tech. Thank you, Miranda. Perfect. Thanks, Eric. All right. And oh. a little pitch, speaking of our group practice office hours, our next uh, Eric day, which we refer to, that's how we <laughs> name it, uh, is on September 8th. So 
Uh, and that's for the group practice office hours, which is the uh, component that Eric's present for. Yeah. All right. Bye, Eric. I just got rid of him. So he'd go to his thing. All right. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, my gosh. Is any me willing to organize a petition to the FTC and HSS for an audit? No. Um, I love you all. I, uh, there are lots of things I will do. I, I'm not a good, I'm not good with organizing at that level in our team. Our team is pretty like, even putting this together, y'all in the midst of like, we're, we're busy, busy things. We have a whole business. We have like a big webinar that's upcoming, um, that we do. That's like part of like launching our business school a couple times a year. Um, so like I like pulled my team in like a crazy way and they were all like, yes, let's do it. This is not, you know, like, let's talk about it. Like with their permission, I pulled them over here. Um, but it's, it's a lot. And so now we have to kind of like refocus in on what we're doing with our business schoolers, um, and with our coaching clients and such. Um, and not because we don't care, I'll still be updating the blog and doing what I can do there. Um, but marketing a whole petition and everything. Uh, it really, ha and I think also it really has to be grassroots. Like when you see a business do that, what can happen is that it can start to look slanderous. It can look like you're going after another business. Um, that's not something I could be a part of. It's not something I want to be a part of. I really just want simple practice to like take a step back, take a pause, get some clinicians on leadership and like really be thoughtful about what they're doing. Because in my opinion, like I hear Eric saying like, well, you know, they got to monetize you some way. I feel like you're monetized enough with the amount that you're paying when we have this amount of people together. I, I think the hundreds of millions of dollars they're getting per year is, is sufficient personally. Now, whether that works for the, you know, corporate America, I don't know, but let me turn on my, uh, my air conditioner for a second. <laughs> Fair enough. It's getting like a little warm in here again. It was getting a little cold. Um, let's see. Oh, I think this is actually a really good question. And I'm curious what you think, Lyeth. If patients are provided with similar new policies that they're required to consent to, will they realize what they're consenting to and will they have any real choice? <sighs> this is... Um you know, a fantastic question. And I so appreciate the perspective that it's coming from. I think that this is an instance where, um, you know, the average user does not, uh, is not aware of what they're consenting to or what the implications are. You know, anytime you sign up for a service, there's just like a checkbox. And we all, we all have done that, right? Even, even me. Uh, we, we will just check the box and in order to get access to the thing. So now if you're talking about existing simple practice clients, right, where they are prompted to accept the new terms and conditions for the client user portal, uh, in order to access the portal or what most likely is going to occur is that they are trying to join their video session with you. If you're doing a teletherapy session they're going to be prompted to accept that before they can join the session, right? Um, and mm -hmm. so odds odds are at least nine times out of 10 that they are not going to be aware of the contents or its implications. So um, I think 
it's important that Simple Practice share with all of their customers, like the clinician customers, what those updated client portal terms and conditions are so that they can provide those to their clients in advance and go through an informed consent process and be able to answer questions about the implications and impact of the contents of those updated terms and conditions. Because yeah. otherwise it's not really informed consent, right? Yeah. And I think to Kaya's point, I'm worried that clients will sign up based on faith that I'm using it. So it must be okay. And the fact that it seems like it's going to get rolled out to clients before it gets rolled out to clinicians. That that's the part that I don't really understand is that space of like, Hey, can, Hey, can you let me know what my clients are going to, what they're agreeing to? It doesn't seem great. Right. Absolutely. Um, Amber, I, I keep getting this question. Um, hey, we signed too quickly. I don't really want to do that. How do I unsign? You have to send a support ticket through simple practice and say, I would like to withdraw my consent. I don't want to sign it. And they will take care of it. Um, this person said, the pressure I'm feeling relates to the language around data being used and held indefinitely, even if we leave simple practice. I need time to switch to new EHR, but I'm anxious about not having a way to pull my data in the future. They have clarified that any um, identifiable data will absolutely be deleted within an appropriate amount of time. I think I, I, I do recall, I, and I'm I'm doing this off of memory, but I think they have clarified that the de-identified data, the kind of the other stuff, however, if that's being used that but that's less gruesome no but if 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 the question is like how do i make sure i can get my data was that the no that they're saying the how do i how do i take my de-identified okay. data and make sure they're not using it for other purposes or selling it or what have you for the de-identified data i don't think you have any control over what happens and we're not even completely sure that they haven't already been doing that. If you like some people were talking about the blogs where they're like, Hey, here's in the blog where they're talking about all of these things in terms of how many sessions therapists are doing and, and what, right. what the uh, diagnoses were and such. So we know there's some of that that's already been used. And again, for what we might consider good, right? Yes. The theoretically, so, yeah, um, I mean, you can always do an outreach and ask them to scrub your data, all, all data, say, you know, if you have closed your account, you can reach out to them and say, I would like all, all of my accounts data to be uh, completely deleted from, from, the, from the servers. You know, they aren't obligated under HIPAA to do that, provided that they are managing that data uh, according to HIPAA regulations, right? They can still keep holding that. Um, but, you know, <laughs> space on the cloud does come at a premium. So I don't think that uh, there is likelihood that they are going to hold on to things for a long period of time beyond when an account is closed. Mm -hmm. Awesome. What exactly happens on 9-1? That's only a week away. Um, that really just that really depends on you and what you decide, right? 
Um, so for some people, nothing will change. You'll sign the form um, and it will be business as, user, as usual. Some of you, you'll sign the form, it'll be business as usual, and you will start the process of saying, oh, hey, this is just not where I want my money. This is, this is not my spot. And you will take your time going through that process. Some of you are saying, nope, by 9-1, I will be with a new provider and I will be voting with my dollars in a very quick way. And let me be clear, some people have the privilege of voting quickly and some people do not. There is no judgment. If you've realized that your values don't align with this business, there's no judgment if you can't make that shift as quickly as other people did. That doesn't make you an unethical therapist. Um, you could also make decisions like letting your clients know, um, hey, we're not going to be accessing the client portal. Um, they've made some changes. I'm going to be changing out of this. So until then, we're going to be using Doxy or, or Zoom, right? I don't know. Or, or Google Meet. If you are a Google Workspace user, you have a BAA with Google for your Workspace account, uh, which for solo practitioners is six bucks a month. That means that Google Meet is covered by the BAA in terms of, of functionality. And you can use that as your video platform. Yeah. Okay, I think I got through as many questions as we could without us needing to like go and use the bathroom and all those things. Um, I know when I, we make it past the therapist hour because isn't the usual thing that we all have to pee like every hour? Yes, at fifty minutes, like by like right right away. Can I ask all of you that are here a couple of things, like a couple of favors from the two hundred ninety-one of you that are still here? Um, <laughs> one, can you? Um, share in the comments, like, what was your takeaway? Like, what did you actually get from this? Like, help us understand what was helpful. Um, because I think this is something new for us to do a panel like this. It's obviously very different than doing like a, a traditional CE training or what have you. Like, please let us know. Here's what I got. I feel more confident I feel like I know what my decisions are. I know what questions I have left. I know what my next step is. Like, I really want to know. Oh, I love that, Maribel. Like, not to panic. Yes, that makes me happy. Okay. Like, that, that just made this whole thing worth it. Yes, yes. Like, that's what I want to hear. Like, is this helpful? Like, what exactly? <laughs> Jen said, I'm getting more anxiety. Um, helpful to hear from those who can understand the legal stuff. Yes, thank you. So that's number one. Second thing, can you share this? If, if this was beneficial to you, can you share this with the colleagues? You can go ahead and share this page, the zinnime.com forward slash terms. Um, you can share that. We'll do a little shifty later um, so that people have to put in an email address or something just so that like randos can't be like watching this. But um, yeah. can you just spread the word? Because I, I do think it's really important um, information, whether people are with simple practice or not. And I think I just really want to see us come together. Like I, that question earlier about like, oh, we need a petition and like, let's go after them. I'm like, more than that, like we need to come together as a group. Um, like, and how can we come together and share information? I think community is what we need at this moment. Um, so I hope that that part, Lyeth, what are your um, thoughts moving oh. forward or things you want to leave with? No, I just want to uh, leave with gratitude for you for helping like do the heavy lifting of making this possible. 
um, and for, you know, responding to this emergent need within the community as everyone's trying to figure out how to, how to navigate things. Um, and, you know, look, look forward to future collaborations and just appreciate everyone trying to figure out how to manage the implications of of these these changes, whether you're a simple practice user or or not. Um, so just glad that uh, looking at the comments right now that folks are feeling a sense of community and feeling supported and resourced. Like that's that's exactly what we want for you to be experiencing now. You're not alone. Reach out. We're here here to help and support. Yes. So check out the the amazing practice hours, right? The um, with Person Center Tech, they're amazing. We are not attorneys over here. Um, <laughs> thank you all, and again, huge thank you to our team. I know that you guys don't see their pictures here on the thing, but I want to like say their names. Like Eden has been working over like overtime, like even doing this event. One of the reasons we're on a new platform, like we're not on Zoom like we normally are is because we weren't sure with the thousands of people that registered whether we would be able to to have everybody live and we wanted to do that and to like have 5000 people live is like $10,000 like it's nutty or something. So we were really working hard to manage that Blade taking care of it on the marketing and doing the doing the pieces and Ginny and Alyssa and people doing all kinds of tech run-throughs and getting all the stuff out there like I just really um, appreciate um, our team because it's not just like they're like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. Or like, OK, I got to like do my work. They're like, oh, my God, this is not OK. Like we want to help therapists. Um, so thank you. Thank you to our team. So it's, it's a team. thank you, everyone. And, uh, you know, have a, a kind and gentle rest of your day. I hope you loved today's episode. If you're a therapist who's tired of those long hours, low pay, and constantly battling burnout, don't forget our free video training designed just for you on how to build and grow a sustainable, profitable solo or group practice. Head over to zinnime.com slash podcast to check it out today. Until next time.